0: Welcome to the Multifamily Millionaire Podcast, the show that interviews multimillionaire real estate investors and top producers in the real estate industry. If you're looking to create passive income and achieve financial freedom so that you can do what you want, whenever you want, you're in the right place. Our goal is to simplify and make real estate investing easy for you. For more information, you can find us at www.jlm.realestate. All right, everyone, so I have my really good friends, Kenny and Crystal here. Um, They're my go-to loan brokers for both multifamily and two to four units, residential, you name it. To start, I just want Kenny and Crystal to introduce yourself and kind of tell the audience who you are and what you do.
1: Sure. Awesome. My name is Crystal Moore. I'm the broker and owner of Pacific Shore Capital. I've been doing multifamily and commercial financing for 17 years now. Hard to believe. I feel old. (laughs) But uh, we also do own apartments ourselves. Uh, We own some industrial. We previously owned a property management company. We managed over 1,500 units here in San Diego. Uh, We sold that in 2017. So we have the experience, not just of the financing, but everything from being an owner to management, rehab, repositioning properties, you name it, we have done it over the last 17 years, so.
2: My name's Kenny Simpson. I'm actually Crystal's husband, just with a different last name. But I've been doing uh, one to four unit financing for 17 years, crazy. Uh, Crystal and I combined have probably done about $2 billion of business, just so you have that kind of perspective. To add on to that, yep, we're just active real estate investors as well and owner operating. And the only thing I'd add on, we do own vacation rentals. So if anybody has questions about that, but I think the value we can bring to anybody, especially if they're experienced or new time, first time buyer, maybe, you know, you're looking to get into real estate, whether you're buying a single family residence or buying two to four unit is we have a lot of experience and we can not only do your loan, we can also advise you in many different ways as well.
0: Got it. And you guys specialize in two different types of loans, right? Can you elaborate on that?
1: Yeah. So there is a difference uh, for us. I I think most people may have some experience in the residential side, one to four units. And then anything that's five plus units is considered multifamily. And the financing is quite different on those. So I talk to people all, all the time about, you know, that are looking to break into apartments. I think the first thing that they also want to understand is the financing and how that's going to work because it's not as straightforward as you know you can get 75 percent loan value or 70 percent loan value whatever it is on like a two to four unit so there is a very uh, big difference in the financing for five plus
2: yeah so one to four is um it's kind of more straightforward it's you got to qualify um you know we look at credit income assets the good news is is that if you do buy a property and it it didn't cash flow because the rents are under we do not lend off of you know the cash flow. So if you make enough money, you can actually get 25% down on like Crystal. You could be buying a beach property that's 40% down or 50. So that is the difference. Also, the difference about us is most people typically are locking into a 30-year fix. We have 30, 15, 20, and so longer-term fix. There's no prepays. and the cost is probably a little bit less because appraisals and things like that are different. But otherwise, I would say just a little bit further into this is that when you are trying to do a cash out, refi and investment, sometimes the commercial can be better because um, we might be capped on the cash out and then you kind of get dinged to with rates and stuff when you go cash out. So it is two different perspectives. So if you're diving in and looking at each, it is good to talk to like you a know, mortgage advisor, like somebody like us, So you can really present a scenario. We can give you back proper feedback and pricing and stuff. There's
1: pros and cons to both for sure.
2: Yeah. Just
1: understanding that.
0: Got it. And if someone's looking to just get started and buy their first investment property, do you think it's better to start in residential or to start in commercial?
1: I think it depends on where you're at financially. Um, I think one of the probably the biggest challenge into getting into apartments that I notice with people is that they have a finite amount of money. Right. Like they, they only have a certain amount to invest. And so that can be tricky when you're trying to get a loan and you're looking at different properties and the down payments are larger than you anticipated. So then what happens is they end up having to reduce the amount, the price that they can qualify for what they can buy a property for. And then they end up buying the two to four unit because that's where they have to start. So I would say buy as big of a property as you can to get started. That's what I would do and what I suggest, but it might end up being still a two to four unit if you don't have enough cash to put down.
2: Yeah, and I would just jump on that is that with us, we don't have it with two to four, there is no net worth requirement. With Crystal, there is two on top of that. So just because you know you might have cash just to that and you're, I got a million down, you want to go buy a bigger building to cover the loan. If you don't have that net worth, it's a problem. So with us, there is no net worth requirement. You could just put down the 25%. That's really the difference. But typically from Owning, operating, we we're a believer as you know, Jason, the more the better. So if you're gonna buy a two to four, I would push you to buy a four rather than a two. And if you're gonna buy five plus, buy as many as you can.
1: Yeah, I mean, and it's it's kind of a general theory, you know, the more units you have, the more tenants you have paying your expenses. So if you have a four unit and one person vacates, then you have 25% vacancy. You might break even or you might be a little bit negative when that person leaves. And then you have turnover costs and more vacancy loss. Whereas if you own a building with more units, if you own a 10 unit building, one person vacates, you only have 10% vacancy. I can almost guarantee you, you're still going to be cash flowing as long as you're not super under-rented even though one person vacates. And you'll probably be able to use that cash flow to put back into the unit turnover and get ready to rent again. So that's really the biggest reason I I push everybody to buy the biggest building they can is because we're all about cash flow when you're investing. And it doesn't feel like a good investment when you're having to put money into it constantly.
0: It's really good. And how about location? Um, Do your clients care a lot about location when they're first looking to buy a property?
1: It depends. Yeah. I mean, location for me, I say it's hard because I think a lot of new investors come in and they want to buy a property that they would live in. And that is not the right way to look at it because it depends. Yeah. I mean, depending on where you're going to buy, like Let's say for example, what I see a lot is let's say you want to buy a property and like buy the beach. like that sounds great, right? on oh, this beach property and it's gonna be fabulous. Well, now you got to put all this money down. It's probably not going to cash flow unless you put a huge down payment down. So it depends on what your strategy is. So if you want cash flow, then you're going towards C neighborhoods. If you're looking for maybe like pride of ownership, then you're going to go to some of those more expensive neighborhoods, but most of us starting out are doing it for cash flow purposes. So location certainly does matter. And I think once you start your search for properties, you quickly learn the areas that you need to be buying in. And they're not the sexiest, but I love cash flow, And that's what we're all looking for. And the C neighborhoods are where it's at.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's kind of funny. People come to us and I always have that initial conversation like, oh, I'm looking here, here. And I don't say anything. And I go, what are you trying to do? What's the budget? And it's, I can't find anything. And I'm like, Okay, are you ready to listen? Because you're looking in all the wrong places, you know. And so I'm like, what about here and here? And next thing you know, they get a deal. And I just think, like Crystal said, people are so focused on I love the street, this building's perfect, it'd be great long term, and this and that. And I'm like, like we always talked about when you're buying a property, too, is whether it's your first or your fifth, is you should have some like expectation, like, what's the game plan? You know, what are we trying to do here? And you should be advising Jason or even your loan officer because. Crystal's not going Crystal says, oh, you're going to buy this and maybe rehab it and fix it and you're going to sell in two or three years. Well, that would determine what kind of debt you put on it. Do you have a free pay or not? So really, like I really tell people that your first deal is really about mindset. It's like it's not a don't be emotional. It's really hard because the neighborhood you're going into, maybe it's not the ideal place, but also is in five years, it might be the ideal place. You're getting there early. So I just think a lot of people are like, I want to be by the beach. I want to be this. But like Crystal said, but when you start really becoming a real estate investor and doing a few deals, you realize that's actually not the place I want to be because it doesn't really make any financial sense, you know, and most people land on that in their own mind, but unfortunately some people learn the hard way. Yeah. yeah. It's funny for me,
1: I love real estate cause it's all, it all comes down to numbers. Like literally you just do the numbers and then, you know, this is a good deal or this is not a good deal. And there, the numbers are very different in those two neighborhoods.
0: No, for sure. Um, if there's, One big difference I've seen between an investor who owns a lot of units and an investor who owns maybe 10 in their whole career is that the person who owns 10 units their whole life has way too strict of criteria and cares too much about location. And that the investor who owns 5,000 units or 500 units just cares about the numbers. They don't care about location. So I 100% agree with what you're saying. And um, it's crazy because some people just, (laughs) what Crystal says, they care about a property so much that they have to live in it for it to make sense and if you look only in pacific beach or la jolla you're gonna have a very hard time cash flowing so but stepping back kenny you mentioned about the prepayment penalty can you elaborate for someone who doesn't know what that is because when i first started i didn't no know what a prepay was
2: yeah um crystal can kind of break it down but so when you buy like for residential one to four. Usually, you shouldn't have to worry about it. There's very, very, very few lenders that would have it. And if you're going there, they would probably mention it. And it's maybe a private bank or something. But typically, with Crystal, the commercial, you're gonna have a prepay. And it's amazing how some people, they just go to a bank, they buy a ten-unit building, they get debt on it, they focus on it. Oh, the interest rate was so good. Nobody walked them through it, and they, you know, they get referred to Crystal three years later. like, Hey, I want to refinance. She's like, Well, you're on a five-year prepay. They're like, What? What do you mean? She's like, yeah, what's the prepay? Well, it's $40,000. Are you kidding me? Why didn't the guy tell me? You didn't review this? So I this is why it's very important, like, you know, Jason, you, you know, just for like you, what broker are you working with? Who's your mortgage? Who's on your team, right? Are they advisors? Or are they just like, here's the deal, the next deal, the next deal, the next deal. So this is why I said is what is the game plan you're trying to do? You need to tell your, you know, tell your agent, tell your loan officer, tell everybody, even the property manager, whatever. So they know what is going on. So prepays are, if you pay the loan off early, there's a prepayment. I'll let Crystal elaborate on the different types of prepays, but.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, the standard prepay you're going to see on a lot of these deals is going to be a step down prepay. So for example, you know, Sometimes, like let's say you go on a five year fixed, it might be a a three, two, one prepay, or maybe it's even a five, four, three, two, one prepay. What that means is that for each of those years incrementally. So, for example, in the case of a three, two, one, it would be, you know, 3% of the balance at the time of payoff if you pay off during year one, 2% in year two, and then 1% in year three. And then after that, it drops off so it's those numbers representage of the loan amount by year for each year until it burns off so it's definitely something to consider i mean that's that's one of the things i tell people that are so rate sensitive i mean if you come from residential and you're just really rate focused when you kind of step over to the apartment side it's not just about rate it's really about prepay cost rate. Like it's really about a lot of different variables because now you have to think about this, like five plus units, this is considered a business. So that is the biggest difference between a residential one to four and five plus units is this is considered a business loan. And so these loans are for people who are kind of believed to be more savvy business people. So it's just a little bit more complex than going the residential route.
0: It's a great answer. I feel like a lot of people who are looking at loans, especially on the commercial side, they're very one dimensional, they care about the rate and they care about what the loan amount is, right? But I feel like with commercial versus residential, there's so many more aspects that matter, such as the property PLs, the debt coverage ratio, all that stuff. So that's why I think it's really important. And I want the audience to understand how important it is to have a loan broker on their side, whether it's Kenny or Crystal on residential or commercial. I've just seen, I mean, Kenny can give a great example of our client who bought that fourplex on 49th street, Kenny. Um, about how important it is to have you on the team. Because I feel like some people wanna go the cheap route and go direct to a bank, go to Wells Fargo or Chase Bank. But number one, they won't get the best deal. And number two, you won't get like the stellar advice that Kenny gave and to push the loan through. Cause you did a lot to get that loan through and that transaction was horrifying. But if it wasn't for you, I mean, (laughs) like if, if it wasn't for you, that deal would not have closed. So. Can you just talk like a little about that, just to show people why having a good loan broker on your side is so important?
2: Yeah, and I want to give you guys a story about prepays, not to caveat, but this is a good story. So Crystal and I, obviously we have a podcast. I follow a lot of people on podcasts, I follow syndicators. So there's this guy, he's like the rate guy, right? And so he used to work at secondary markets and all these companies. He has his own company, it's uh, JP Conklin. What he does is when, like you said, when people are buying 50, 100, $200 million deals, they actually hire this guy as an advisor. So what he does is goes in, should we do a flow rate? Should we do this, that? Because people are spend, You know, they're getting a $100 million loan. It could be a big monumental mistake. It doesn't matter if that, but even on a small scale, it could, be, it could really screw you if you have to sell or refi. So what happened is, Everybody, these guys went and locked. They went back on this one client of his that bought. They sold 40 deals in 10 years. Big syndicator, big. They went back and did the numbers. They did all 10 year IO, Freddie Mac, uh, yield maintenance prepays. I think the guy paid, the guy was like sick to his stomach. I can't remember, but I think they paid like 40 plus million dollars in prepays. 50. It's some crazy number. So, what that means is, My point is, is why do these big guys have advisors? Because they sat down and said, wait a minute here, the market's changed, what's going on with rates? Is there anything else we can do? We thought we're gonna hold these properties for 10 years. Like everybody says, I'm never gonna sell, but you know what? That's not the case because another deal comes along. You call Jason, I got this deal. How do I buy it? We gotta exchange up, you gotta sell. And so these guys held three to four year average. They weren't even 50%. So they realized we need to start doing, buy out the prepay, shorter prepays, you know do a float with a cap so it's the same thing like that or it's, you're going to crystal you're going to need for a tough deal you walk into Wells Fargo, you walk in banker nothing wrong with them they're really good at banking but there's it's a revolving door of people that work there that are loan officers because what happens and i'm just being really transparent is people that work there the loan officers aren't paid very well and it's a just a big assembly line and it's like that guy that does your loan he has to call seven people to get an update it's kind of a nightmare he's not going to tell you that when you walk in there but this guy could have started a year ago or six months ago so then you compare somebody like me that's been doing this 17 years I have a team I can pick up the phone I can call an underwriter I can go through the file I can even coach an underwriter and say no you're wrong this is how we need to get it done because I have the experience to do that so really the difference is is it's all about experience. So if the guy at Wells Fargo has 17 years of experience and he's done a billion dollars of loans, he's probably really good at his job. But if he's six months on the job, just came out of college and has never seen a file like this, he's probably gonna screw it up. And when the underwriter says it's denied, he doesn't have the the wherewithal or the knowledge to go back and explain to her and present it, say, wait a minute here, you didn't look at this correctly. And that's what I do, whether it's for that client or a lot of other clients. So there's a lot of times I get a suspense or a denial, and the underwriter just doesn't understand the income because there's complicated, you know, tax returns or this. So I'm really good at tax returns. I'm really good at self-employed. I'm really good at real estate investors. A lot of it thanks to Crystal for referring to her clients. But what's a tough file for 95% of everybody else isn't for me because me and my team are built for it and we're trained for it. We do it all the time.
1: We're gonna go through the 49th Street what was the challenge there
2: no the challenge was I mean you have somebody that's self-employed that has foreign income that has foreign assets that moved it here that move money all around that really didn't know that you shouldn't do a lot of these things but what I had to do is just keep going back and explaining 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 that Um, and then they decided to audit the file too so everything you could hit me with is this file they literally were like did not want to do the file but at the end of the day i get on the phone with the head head underwriter and when i walked her through it she says it's not as bad as it was because a junior underwriter got it then another underwriter by the time she got it, it looked like a pile of rubble and when i can put the pieces together and present to her and say hey look it's foreign income i presented everything here's the other income here's the assets here's this they had a lot of information wrong. When I presented it to them properly and I explained it to them, it all makes sense. And she goes, okay, this is a doable deal. Check, let's do it. And you know, it didn't take us months to get there because the audit took a month, but by the time she got the file, went through and talked to me, it literally took us three or four days to get the thumbs up and let's get it done. But I wasted two, three months with the wrong people. So it's literally, that's what it is. So it doesn't matter if you're self-employed or real estate investor and stuff, a lot of people walk into banks and they're told, oh, you can't get a loan, we can't help you, this and that. I hear it all the time. I hear it on ads, I hear it on the news. It's completely incorrect. You know, those people don't live in our world. They live in, well, I listened to, uh, you know, the news and they said they're not giving loans out to self-employed people. I was like, well, that's interesting because I just funded 20 loans last month to self-employed people. So I think just having the right information and data too is important.
0: Crystal, you want to elaborate on that? yeah
1: i mean i think too the biggest thing for us is just presentation is so critical um, that a lot of times if you're going directly to a banker that you you as the borrower have to present all the information they just kind of transpose that and submit it and a lot of times you know the problem is is that once an underwriter sees something they can't unsee it like that's the big thing i mean you give them something that's the wrong piece of information they can't say oh, I'm just going to pretend I didn't see that information. Take it back. I don't need it. And so that's the biggest thing for us is that we're constantly strategizing on some of these files. Like, okay, how do we need to present this information in the best light so that they're going to understand it? And it's not going to look as bad. I mean, the majority of the stuff that we get is just thrown at us and people don't want to do any paperwork and we kind of put it all together. I kind of prefer to do it anyways because of the presentation. So that that is the biggest thing about getting the deals through. And that's what, what Kenny's saying is just um, a lot of times with the banks, they they get these easy cookie cutter deals. They want the like W-2 person who's like, you know, they own a house and you know, that's it. But once it gets complicated, I mean Kenny just closed a residential loan from my client that has 70 properties. 70. I don't think the underwriters particularly love that he gets these deals, but <laughs> <they have> to, <laughs> but for me, like, these are the kinds of things that we're doing because it's like nobody else is going to touch your file. In fact, he went directly to a bank and they're like, oh no, we, yeah. we can't do that. So, I mean, these are the kinds of files that we're used seeing. Of course, we love getting ones that are not that complicated, but um, when that happens, we know exactly how to look at it. And we know the guidelines too. I mean, Kenny has on an regular basis showed underwriters guidelines that they didn't even know existed to get deals through.
2: Yeah. So. And, and I'll say this too to elaborate, um, cause this is really important. When you go to a bank, the LO up front, unless he's really experienced, just going to take your file, put it together and just submit it. And it goes in there. And like Crystal said, it was presented wrong. And you know, you throw crap against the wall, you're going to get crap back. So what I do when I have somebody complicated or they're not sure, look if somebody comes to me and they're in a 1031 exchange if, we can, if, they, if you don't know what that is we can talk about and they have a million dollars on the line that's a liability for us i you know been you too jason they, if they don't make that they're going to pay some taxes so it's my responsibility as an LO. that's how i do, to deliver so if somebody i'm not sure what do i do i get the information i call an underwriter maybe i send them stuff maybe i go through i know what the questions and i get everything worked out they said, yep, this is how you need to present. so what we need to see. We'll be good. Or hey, this is going to be a problem. you do this. So before I submit it, I we have that conversation. And then basically when I get the file and you get it approved, that's why, because we take the time effort up front. I just don't, I don't want to submit a file for you, me, or your client that's going to waste all of our time that's not going to get done. That's not good business for anybody and also it's frustrating for a client that's like maybe on their purchase for an investment property, it's not a good feeling. So I don't know, I just think it's very important who you're working with that's taking the time and effort and really understands what in the hell they're doing. Yeah, no, that's huge. And one big example I wanna give out
0: is with Crystal, one of my clients who's in an exchange, newer client, haven't worked with him before, he's looking to buy his first six unit property in Golden Hill and I consulted Crystal and Mitch about it probably within the first day we had it in contract and i told them the seller's very tough he's tough to deal with his contingency time frame is 17 days and to release money non-refundable 100k no matter what doesn't care if the loan's approved or not he, he didn't care at all he was a tough seller and within three days mitch and crystal told me like boom this file looks great he's a good borrower the appraisal will come in at value it's a good deal so having a loan broker as a broker myself or as a client that I'm helping, it helps everyone to have a good advisor like Kenny or Crystal to advise you on the deal. So that's just what I have to say about that. But do you want to elaborate on that, Crystal, on how that happened? Do you remember? That yeah. Deal?
1: I mean, for us, this is the thing. So that's another one of those areas in multifamily that can be a little bit scarier for people is that you really don't know if your loan's approved until right before you get loan docs. So on residential, you get approvals on the front end with conditions and on multifamily, you literally get a letter of interest that is not a promise to do anything. Uh, It's basically like, we think we'll give you these terms and then you (laughs) give them money and you pay $2,500 or $3,000 or whatever it is for an appraisal. And then you wait two or three weeks for that to come in. And then they send it to final underwriting and give you their commitment letter, which now says, okay, we'll do the things we said we will, or we're going to do this instead of what we told you we would do. And then you get loan docs maybe a week later. So that is the scary part generally. And with your client, especially being his first purchase, you need to get the reassurance as much as humanly possible on the front end. So what we do is say, Hey, look, I know you can't give me a commitment letter right now, but I have all of the tax returns. I have the bank statements. I have everything that you need to say this file is approved, pending the appraisal coming in. So we were able to do that. It's not something that's standard course of business. But the other thing is, is that when you have high volume with lenders, it also gives you more weight to be able to get exceptions on the process and to get things done. So our volume with this particular lender is high enough that close, you know, tens of loans, you know, 50, 60 loans, whatever with them. They're like, okay, you're a good broker for us. You always bring us the good deals. That's the other thing too. We, we just got it today. We had a lender email us that we submitted, you know, a deal. And he says, well, I haven't fully underwritten the deal, but you guys are always on the spot with your numbers. So here's, here's what we can do. And it's like, okay, well, that's cool. You know, I mean, we normally come in right around the appraised value on our analysis, and then even with qualifications, we've just gotten to the point where I actually look at the information, we pre-qualify it before we submit it. I don't submit something that I don't think can be approved. If it can't be approved, then we strategize on how to get you there before we submit. So in this case, we were able to do that. And in fact, we were able to get the appraisal uh, done a lot more quickly than it was originally slated for as well. So he was able to get that reassurance before we move in contingencies.
2: And you have great relationships, Crystal, too, like long-term great relationships, not just with bankers, but chief credit officers know you, CEOs know you, big, small banks. I mean, we have great relationships. We do loans for some of the people that own their CEOs of banks, you know, so that's the thing is that's the trust, you know, so relationships are really important, too. For sure. And then
0: my next question for you guys is kind of switching from the lending side to more of the investor side. You guys obviously own units yourselves. You own a big building in National City. As an investor, what are some things that you look for personally when you're looking to buy a property?
1: So for me, it's funny because I think depending on where you're at in the market has kind of had us shift our strategy. So early on, uh, when we were first getting started, it was all about really kind of flipping to build up enough cash to buy bigger buildings. We were always looking for value add opportunities. So a lot of times we were buying a property with private money. We would even a lot of times vacate the building, do a whole rehab on the building and re-rent it and then maybe hold it for a year or so, and then just sell it. So we're not true flippers, but we use the kind of like BRRR method. We use that, you know, buy, renovate, refi, whatever. We did all of that. So that was our initial strategy. And then a couple of years ago, I started just feeling like, hey, I'm not a flipper. I'm not like, that's not my career. So I'm not the person who's going to like go buy these deals and have like really skinny margins. That's just not me. I think that a lot of those rehabs were getting a little played out, like every unit's looking exactly the same. And, you know, everything was kind of like just the same. It seemed like it was getting a little saturated. So then we shifted and we said, well, we have a decent amount of cash to go buy a bigger building. I want cash flow now. So now we're looking at properties for cash flow because I'm not buying 10 unit buildings anymore. Now I bought my 30 unit building. This is great. You know, the cash flow is getting a little more attractive now. It's not like a thousand bucks a month, like 10, 15, you know, somewhere around there. So now it's about cash flow. So it really just depends. I always say it, it's funny because a lot of people look at these big apartment owners and they try to emulate what they're doing. And for me, I say, that wasn't necessarily their strategy when they first got started. They have the strategy today because they have bigger problems, bigger things that they're solving for. They have to buy a certain amount of properties every year not to pay tax. They need tax write offs. They have to keep going and being active. That's why they maybe start buying more luxury versus C properties and things like that. So for me, I think when you start, it's about building enough equity, unless you just make a ton of money every year and you can keep making money for down payments every year. But the easier thing is to grow organically, which is Buy a property, that add some value somehow, maybe refi full cash out, then trade up, maybe sell it, trade up to the next property and keep doing that. And then at that point you're like, okay, I've built up enough equity. Now it's time for cash flow because this is why we're doing the thing. You know, we're doing the thing for equity building and also cash flow. And that's generally what what I'm looking for, anyways, is cash flow now.
0: Kenny, you got anything to say?
2: Yeah. So Crystal said that, so I'll kind of pivot and give a different perspective. So, somebody's watching this. Look, there's many types of people that are going to buy. Let's just say you're an attorney, you're a doctor, you're making five hundred to million dollars a year, right? You got a few problems. Number one is you're probably working your ass off, so you don't have much time. So you need a team around you. Number two, you have another problem, which we thank you for, that you're paying most of the taxes. So <laughs> you're just you haven't figured out the game. And you're educated that you're a doctor but you're not educated on really how money works and how the game works and so your neighbor next door could own 200 units and he's making a million dollars and he's paying zero taxes he's telling you this you're like how in the hell is this possible like i went to school i did this this is crazy so really what it is is i think people need to first understand is like i said is back up when you're investing in real estate what is the game plan if let's just pick i'm a doctor i own a business I throw off a good cash. I make a million bucks a year. Let's just pick that guy. So first I tell people, okay, how much money can you set aside each year to invest? Okay, great. How much money do you have? And this is really where I start the conversation with everybody because we always say is you just got to get into the game because once you get into the game, your mindset will change. The conversation you're literally having to yourself right now about I want to buy a place. Once you buy it, As you know, Jason, you bond deals, it starts to change. It becomes maybe an addiction. You're like, this is great. And the money you're gonna save might all of a sudden just go like, hell, I'm gonna save more now. We're gonna cut back more now. And you might, because you're like, I wanna build this faster because I don't wanna be a doctor. I don't wanna be a attorney for the rest of my life. So number one is what's the game plan, what's the mindset, what can you do? And the second thing is, is that I work with doctors. They don't wanna buy five plus units. They're not interested. What they're interested in doing is they want to buy 10, four units. It's 40 units. They want 30 year debt. They want 15 year debt. They make a million, two million bucks. They don't care if they cash. So they want to pay them off as soon as possible, get them done. And then they're like, cool. So in 15 years, I pay my house off. I pay this off. I have no debt. My 401k, I can put 2 million bucks away. But then I have 40 units, free and clear, no house payment. It spits off. $25,000, $30,000 a month. Then I got my 401k and I want to go sit on a beach and I don't want to do anything. That is a person that we deal with all the time. That's a great strategy. Um, the other strategy is that somebody might go, well, I want to go bigger and I want to go better. I want to be an attorney. Like I've met an attorney one time. He's worth $80 million. And I was like, how did you get worth $80 million? He goes, definitely not being an attorney because I paid you know 60% tax. He says, basically by buying real estate. He's like, there's no way in 30, 40 years i have been worth 80 million by just being an attorney and putting money away. So the other people have a problem with is putting money in their 401k, they're saving money, it's sitting in a checking account and they're making zero. They're also like the stock market's high, this thing's crazy, they're uncomfortable. Look, we all know this. Everybody's having the same conversations, these stuff. So what's great about like, like Crystal Loves Apartments and stuff, it's just bread and butter. It's You can feel it, you can touch it, you can see it. If you buy today in 20 years, it's going to be worth more. Why? There's a whole list of laundry reasons why, right? So the other strategies, I think why people go multifamily is because they want to go bigger. They want to buy the 10 unit. They want to go work with Jason go, cool. Let's exchange and buy 20. Then exchange the 30. next thing you know, 20 years later, they own 200 units. And somebody's like, how did you do that? I started with a five unit. I think you really, if you want to get into this game, and that's what I call it is you really want to pick a strategy of what you want to do. Either strategy is okay, but I think when you go down different paths, it is a different like strategy, commercial residential. But don't think that just because you go four units, you might wake up one day and be like, I want to go bigger, because it happens all the time. People start small and they're like, hey, I got this. Let's sell this stuff. Let's go bigger.
1: In my opinion, I think whether it's 10 units or hundred units, it's relatively the same. You just have economies of scale at that point. I mean, we managed hundred unit buildings and we managed 10 unit buildings. I actually prefer the hundred unit building. You have full-time staff on site. You have full-time maintenance guy. They take care of problems. They're right there. You don't spend all this time driving around and doing things. I think, you know, one of the, the most important people you can have on your team once you decide to buy is a CPA, because i would argue that the doctor or the attorney they just don't know any better they don't know about the tax benefits of owning real estate so when they come to you and they say like i already make a ton of money i don't need cash flow i just need write offs and i want to pay this thing off and whatever cash flow they don't understand the tax benefits they only understand that they make a lot of money and they don't need more money right now they need money in 10 15 years from now when they want to retire well you can still do that and i think do it much better with apartments versus one to four unit. And I I think the one thing we haven't talked about just yet, maybe you had it on the agenda is that, you know, the valuation of five plus unit multifamily properties is so much better than one to four. We use, you increase the income, you exponentially increase the value. That is not something that you get on the residential side. So that is one of the major benefits aside from tax benefits is you can incrementally increase. I mean, think about if you want to 10 unit building, and you increase rents $100 a unit, take that by whatever four and a half cap or wherever we're at today. How much did you really increase the value of your building? Like by hundreds of thousands of dollars. That's exciting.
0: It's all great stuff. And the reason why San Diego is such a great spot to buy, in my opinion, I'm sure you can agree, is the rents keep going up, right? There's always demand. There's always people trying to come down here to live in San Diego. I mean, I have two friends from San Francisco who are, since COVID, have been remote. They worked at Salesforce, and now they're down in Pacific Beach. And they said, finding a place here was impossible and rents just keep going up. It's not stopping anytime soon. So if you're an investor and you think the long game and you buy now, prices may seem high, but in 10 to 20 years, rents might be double than what they were. And now you're sitting pretty and you have a 10 unit or a 20 unit in San Diego where things just keep going up and you're buying California real estate. So you're always going to have appreciation. Your rents are going up you have tax write-offs and you're paying down the loan every single year. So it just seems like a no brainer to me. I mean, can you guys agree on that as well?
1: Yeah. I mean, I would say that I agree with you that San Diego is the best place. I think it's the best city in California, not because I'm biased. I also well, maybe sort of, but I lived in San Francisco for three years. I understand that market. It went absolutely nuts. And for the longest time, Kenny and I would have these conversations at night, you know, whatever, like, Holy crap. I mean, San Francisco is on fire. It is insane that the amount of money that people are paying for properties. San Diego is a steal. Like you come down here and you're like, what? Like I can live by the beach with sunny and 75, like 360 days out of the year. Like, and I can buy it for this price. So I feel like San Diego's finally having its day um, like San Francisco did. We didn't have that. Like I cannot remember a time in the last 17 years or even before that where properties were selling over list with bidding wars. That has not happened. And I don't anticipate it to stop even in the next couple of years. I think it's really gonna keep going for a little while. And every property you buy feels expensive at the time that you buy it. Like unless you're talking like, for a brief time in 2009 or 10 or whatever, there was like brief moments where maybe you feel like you're getting a deal, but you're paying market price to buy properties today. It always feels expensive, so you're never going to buy anything if you always have that mindset.
2: You know, San Diego is uh, we say it's surrounded by the four borders. You've got the Mexican border, you've got the ocean, you got Camp Pendleton, and you got the mountains, and so. Most people want to live, you know, if you're here, you know where you want to live and you don't. So a lot of the things that are going on around downtown, Little Italy, the beach and all this, there's just all these little micro communities we call them now, right? And they're popping up, but people are moving into these areas because it's getting expensive. You know, just like Crystal said is just take Miami right now. And I always told this to Crystal. I tell people, I go, look, when the 1% wake up, whether it's COVID or taxes or something, and they go, we want to go buy a home in Miami or Florida. $50 million homes are flying off the shelf like it's nothing. And people go, who has this money? I'm like, there's a lot of money, a lot. So what else is happening is take California. A lot of people are moving out of Los Angeles and San Francisco. Not that they're going to go back here, but once you come to San Diego, it is a good bang for your buck when you compare and you get a taste of the weather and everything, you're kind of like, man, it's hard to leave. So I think a lot of people come here for school or come here for something. I mean, a lot of people move here. Just, I came on a business trip. I came on a holiday here for school. And they're like, damn it. I'm trying to figure out how to get back there. And you know, the city, it's the weather you're in California. So it's a really good spot. And so like Crystal said, is, you know, you sit down with a large apartment owner and you go ask him like, but it's expensive. And they're like, yep. They told me that 20 years ago and 30 years ago and 40 years ago. And like Crystal said, there's ups and downs in the market. It's probably like a cost average. So if you bought a bunch of stuff and it's high and the market corrects, you go buy more, but eventually the market's going to be more expensive because you're in a place. We're not talking about buying in North Dakota or something like that, where really nobody wants to go there. 35 million people visit this place a year. That's a lot of people. So I mean, biased or not, I think San Diego, not just in uh, California, is one of the best places on the globe. I travel around the world. You say you're from San Diego It's like, one of the most favorite spots i just think for san diego is you know the more businesses and entrepreneurs and things that come here and grow businesses that's what's going on that's what you're seeing. and COVID, we're calling it, you know the great reset or the great migration you're seeing it in front of us i mean people are fleeing out of california but also people that are moving from california a lot of people are moving down here you know talk to your like your friends or talk to real estate agents people come in and overpaying or well, i just sold a place in san francisco Oh, overpaid 300,000? Hell, I don't care. I did that up there. What's the difference? You know, I mean, they've been doing it in other cities in New York, they've been doing it in Seattle. They've been doing it in North Oregon. They've been doing it in San Francisco, LA for a long, long time. Like Crystal said, it's this city is a, it's just, it's time. You know, I don't know how long it will go on, but there's a lot of opportunity here. hundred
0: percent agree. That's um, very well said. I think we've given enough, I, I think we've given enough reasons on why someone should invest in San Diego. The best. <laughs> so, <laughs> so if I'm listening to this video and I've never bought a property, how would I prepare myself to buy my first two to four unit or five unit?
2: I mean, you know, I will go back to it. It's literally mindset. I mean, like I said, doesn't matter. Take your income, take your age. This, it's just a number. The income's a number. The age is a number. I don't care. The mindset's the mindset. We live in a day and age where there's no more excuses. Everything and anything you want, you can Google it. You can YouTube it. You can podcast it. You can read it on a book. You can run down the street and listen to it. So there's more data and information at everybody's fingertips than you know. There's more coaching and these conversations like we're having before. This didn't 30 years ago. You had to go to seminars, sit down and drive somewhere and eat some crappy food and sit around a lot of people you don't know to learn about this. You can be at your house listening to this. So I think it's really mindset. And I think you have to make up your idea. Just like if you're going to start a business, you're going to get in shape or anything like that is you have to have the mindset shift to go, am I ready to do this and make the commitment? So investing in real estate, the first things first is if you own a piece of property, then you've been through a transaction before if you have a single family. If you've never bought any property, no problem. If you're ready, and you want to buy an investment property, kudos, why not? You don't need to own a home first to buy a rental property. So I think first what you do is you figure out consult with uh, Crystal or Kenny, depending on what you're doing, and figure out what can I qualify for? What does my credit look like? How does this all work? Once you kind of understand a little about the numbers and how this works, then you figure out and go, okay, what asset class do I want to buy? Is it a two to four units or five unit? You find out the right broker, and that's when you sit down and have a conversation with you, and you guys kind of work together, and be like, they've got a half a million bucks, and they want to do it this, friend, or that, and I think then you start moving forward. I don't think you should start driving around and looking at apartment buildings and start writing offers if you haven't talked to a loan officer and got all your financials together and make sure you really understand can you qualify. So that's just my take on it, you know, Crystal. Crystal?
1: Yeah, I agree. I think the mindset's really big. That's the first thing that we kind of tell people to get in about being in that mindset. I think also understanding your why helps you back into what type of properties you're looking for. Like, is it cash flow? Do you really think that you just want to have a value add property? How quickly do you want to grow? Like, what's your long-term goals? What are your two-year goals? What are your five-year goals? What are your 10-year goals? I think that helps you kind of back into what you can do. And certainly getting pre-qualified is going to help you identify how, you have to start i mean really everybody has to start somewhere and you got to know what you qualify for. And then it kind of tells you, well, I can buy a property in this price range. So if I can only buy a property, you know, if I only qualify to buy a property that's like a million dollars, then there's a very unlikely possibility that you're going to buy a five unit even in San Diego. So now you're looking at two to four units. Those are going to tell you, but then you say like, what's my plan when I'm looking at properties? What kinds of things am I looking for in this property so that it can help me get to the goals that I have? So yeah, mindset, knowing your why, getting pre-qualified and understanding what kind of property uh, that you
2: can qualify for. Yeah, pre-qualifying this market and being ready to go is as you, especially on the residential, as you know, you gotta close in 30 days. 30 days goes by really fast. And for us, it's not as stressful, we do it every day, but for somebody else, they got kids, they got life, they got work, they got soccer practice, they got this, they got that, and they're like trying to buy a property. So if you're ready to go, we got your stuff and you go, let's go and you're ready, it's a lot different than like jumping into chaos. So just be prepared, be ready, and you can really set yourself apart from others, you know?
1: Yeah, I would say understanding your criteria too, because in this market especially, you've gotta move quick. Like I literally do quotes for people considering buying a property and then it's under contract before they even make a decision. And you're like, sorry, buddy, you're too late. You gotta move quick. Like this is not for somebody who wants to sit around and analyze a property 12 different ways. I mean, you have to like make that decision. That you're ready to go. Run your numbers. If they work, you got to go.
0: Yeah, it's a fact. And I always wanted to ask you guys, what was your why on why you first started uh, buying investment property?
1: It's funny because I think um, the why changes, right? Like as you hit different levels. But originally, even still now, I would say my biggest goal is uh, freedom. You know, I want to have the freedom to choose if I want to work, if I don't want to work, if I want to go on a vacation next week, whatever that maybe um, when our kids are, you know, playing sports and in school, like, do I want to volunteer? Do I want to go to their practices and their games? And those are the things for me that I don't want to be tied to, you know, I don't want like the golden handcuffs of my job per se. I want to have the freedom to choose. And that is my biggest thing. And then of course, the always overarching thing for us is planning for retirement. And you know, teaching our kids and leaving them a legacy that they're going to carry on and continue on and not, not screw it up. Like so many people we see that inherit stuff. So, I mean, that's really a big why, but an immediate goal is freedom. And then after that is really legacy and retirement. So,
2: yeah, for me, I think what was interesting is uh, I always wanted to buy real estate, but I didn't really understand what I was doing. You know, when Crystal, I, mean, I started doing loans for like Crystal's clients and I would look and i would like, this guy owns a lot of property he's always like has time he's always traveling he doesn't pay taxes like what the hell is going on here this is crazy so for me i started now would call him i go you don't pay taxes you made a million bucks yep i go how do you do that he goes because you just gotta you're not smart you gotta like learn so i started realizing that wow the lifestyle this and that it's not that you don't work or this but It's something that they worked on you know every little by little by little yeah maybe the guy had a business maybe he had a job but over 20 30 years he's in his 60s he wakes up he goes i can do what i want today i got cash flow i've got equity i got property management whatever i can buy and life's pretty good it's not like i'm got to go to work to grind to pay those bills and stuff so i think the why for me was wow you can do this a normal person that just has a normal job. I mean, we know people that were teachers, two teachers that little by little chipped away and they have $10,000, $15,000 of cash flow that's there. Plus they have, you know, their pension and they're like, if it was just my pension, I couldn't live in San Diego. And, that was a, ton of equity. and a ton of equity, yeah. free and clear properties. But somebody told them a long time ago, just buy some, some of them just bought one 10 year building and paid it off. And it's like, It's there's three bedrooms somewhere over here and they make, you know, after everything, they make eight grand a month and then they, you know, they have their retirement. So everybody's wise to everybody. At the end of the day, I really like we were talking about from the beginning. It's really about freedom for everybody. And I really think buying real estate at the end of the day, let's be honest, it's really about the cash flow. It's cash flow is really, really attractive.
1: Well, it replaces your income. I mean, you you can basically then have the freedom to, you know, drop your income from your job and have cash flow. So, and then you can go on vacation and your tenants still pay rent, even when you're gone on vacation, even when you're sleeping, even when you're at your kid's soccer game, they still pay the rent. You don't have to physically work. You don't have to trade time for dollars.
0: What was the first property you guys ever bought?
1: Our house. So we wanted to buy something and originally we wanted to buy like a four unit, um, live in one unit, rent out the others, but we had two problems. We didn't have enough money down for that because then the purchase price was getting bigger for where we wanted to live. Um, it was like over a million dollars. We didn't have that. And then we just started getting in the car and driving literally every property that was for sale. And then we even started like walking different apartment units that were for rent, just You're like being like and then we were like, I could do this, like I could do that, you know. And so Anyways, we ended up finding this house and we, for, we bought it for 545,000, we got it by accident. I mean, just tell me if that wasn't like just meant to happen. So anyways, we accidentally got, cause we were, did three and a half percent down FHA financing. It was like $19,000. I think we, we, did a down ton or of work. we needed a ton of work, but we lost out to a couple that had like 30 or 40% down and they accidentally faxed the signed counteroffer to our agent instead of their agent
2: or something. Literally law. got it
1: by mistake. <laughs> Yeah, And so that was the house. So we said, we're going to live in it for two years and then we're going to sell it and we're going to take the tax-free money. We, romantic story, we got married at the courthouse right before we sold the house, just so it could be half a million dollars tax-free versus 250 if you're not married. So that was what we did. Uh, We rehabbed the house. We added a second story onto it. We did all kinds of things. We made almost half a million dollars on that. And that's how we traded it into our first apartment deal. I did not want to leave the house, okay? I had a claw foot tub, with farm sinks, with a TV in front of the tub. I used to take my bath, watch housewives of Beverly Hills or whatever. Like I'd stay in there. I'd have to fill the bath up again because the water got cold. Like it was like my favorite house. I begged Kenny, can we get it a line of credit? Can we just keep the house it was in Mission Hills, used a coronado, collapsing doors, like the whole thing. It was beautiful um, when we got done with it. We got like a Viking fridge off Craigslist for like some guy. You know, we got all this stuff. We like bootstrapped it. We found, we just like made it we got this house like done as cheaply as we possibly could. I did not want to sell it, but he made me, but that was our first thing. And honestly, it's allowed us to be where we're at today. So that's the other thing. Not a lot of people are willing, are willing to make those sacrifices either. So that's a, uh, I think critical. If you really want to grow a portfolio, I think you got to sacrifice things that you want now so that you don't have to sacrifice them later.
2: Pay the price today so you can pay any price tomorrow.
0: Ooh, it's a good line. Well, it looks like we're running out of time. I want to make sure people know where they can find you when, um, After we leave here, what's the best place to find your guys' information if if someone wants to reach out to you?
1: Our website is pacifichorecapital.com for financing. Of course, I'm on Instagram, so Pacific Shore Capital on Instagram. We're on YouTube channels. like We've got all the things. But um, I think Capital.com would be a good place to start, and that will get you connected everywhere.
2: Yeah, you can probably find me on there, huh?
1: Yep, yours. Well, yours is
2: SimpsonMortgage.com. Got it. Thanks for having us. And you guys have a podcast too, right?
1: Yeah, we have Get in the Cashflow Game. Um, that's why we have this fancy wall behind us. But we do uh, put out content every week. It's really real estate focused. And we just love like getting to know different people. We talk about different strategies in real estate and whatnot. So uh, we do have a podcast. It's on every podcast platform that you can find. It also is on YouTube. Um, and we have a website called getinthecashflowgame.com.
0: Got it. Well, hey, thank you so much for your time, both of you. And this is a lot of fun. And a ton of value. I'll probably talk to you guys tomorrow about our deals that we have going on. So yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll talk to you guys soon. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Jason. Awesome. Appreciate the time. Thanks, Jason. Thanks yeah, for having us. Bye. Thank you for joining us on the Multifamily Millionaire Podcast the show that interviews multimillionaire real estate investors and top producers in the real estate industry. We're here to help you create passive income and achieve financial freedom so that you can do what you want, whenever you want. We'll catch you next time on the Multifamily Millionaire.